Mark 8, we come to a new chapter, we're, but not a new section. So we're continuing on with the thought process coming out of chapter 7. If you look down at 8.31, Mark 8, verse 31, and he began to teach them. Now, that, that's where Mark now moves into a new section. And actually, Mark is going to move towards the cross. From 831 on, it's about going to Calvary and all of that and all those events. Up to here now, verse 1, 81, in those days, the multitude being very great. He's still in those days, he's still demonstrating the heart of the servant. He's still demonstrating the the, the issues that have come out of chapter 7, that thought flow of thought here. One, he's been taking on the Pharisees, chapter 7, verse 6. And he answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the traditions of men. Verse 9, And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own traditions. That's what he's been dealing with. He's been dealing with the Pharisees. Then Mark contrasts that heart of the Pharisees. The problem with the Pharisees is they have the external religion down pat. They look good, they smell good, they taste good, they sound good, they got everything good, but yet inwardly they've got the, the problem. So the issues that defile man come from inside. They come from an internal uh, heart problem and uh, they have the external religion down but that religion doesn't clean up the internal what, who cleans the internal up is God the word of God here Messiah and the, and the belief in, in the Lord as their Messiah they don't have that so they have this heart problem so then in, in chapter 7 Mark shows two uh, miracles one with the Syrophoenician woman the Gentile woman here as and then the deaf and dumb man okay and what you have is is you have a picture being drawn with two components as he's going to demonstrate the heart of the servant the 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 suffering servant of the lord and what he does is he says look here's what's defiling israel it's their heart problem but watch the heart of the messiah the heart of the messiah the messiah who understands who knows the the totality of the Abrahamic covenant, who understands what is really going on here, and that the ultimate end and conclusion of the Abrahamic covenant is that through Israel, the blessings were going to flow to the families of the earth, to the Gentiles out there. So we have this issue show up in the Gentile woman here. She comes to him out of a need. She doesn't come demanding anything. She comes with the need. So he sees her needs, her need, and then he honors her faith he, by meeting her need. He, he looks past Israel's blindness and Israel's heart problem and says, look, the Abrahamic covenant, this is what it's really for. She comes in with great faith and so forth, and we looked at that. Then he turns in verse 31 and following, talking about the deaf and dumb man, and demonstrates, you know what Israel is? They are deaf and they're dumb. They can't speak. 
they, so here's the process that the servant is going to, the, the Savior, the Lord, the Messiah is going to go through to restore the nation of Israel. So we see his heart, his heart towards the Gentile and the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, and then his heart towards his people in restoring them to the capacity to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. In, eight, in chapter 8 now, there's a great multitude that's, that's been gathering in those days. So the, the same days as he's dealt with the Pharisees, the Gentile woman, and then the deaf and dumb. He hasn't gone anywhere yet. He's in the same territory. He's there. And he says, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus calls his disciples unto him and saith unto them. What's going to happen? Well, there's a great multitude there because what's he been doing? He's been healing. He's been act actively active. Now, if you come back to Matthew 15, hold on to Mark, because the Mark does something that Matthew doesn't do, or Luke. And if Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew 15, okay, we have. Uh, verse 1 and uh, down to uh, verse 20, he's dealing with the Pharisees. Verse 21 to 28, he deals with the, the Gentile woman, the Syrophoenician woman. But then in verse 29, 30, and 31, he doesn't deal with the deaf and dumb. Mark is going to reach in. Look at verse 29. And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh into the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he what? Healed them. Inasmuch that the multitudes wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, and the maimed to behold, and the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. So Matthew has all these people, all of this great healing program. Mark reaches into that and pulls out one and uses that to illustrate the process, the deaf and dumb man. So when you come into eight, that great multitude is there because what's he been doing? He's healed every one of them. He, so they're out there glorifying the God of Israel. He's healed everyone. So when you come back to Mark 8, and again, this helps you understand when you talk about healing programs that, that we see today. If in all of the programs that we've seen over our lifetimes of healing programs, if only one person actually got healed completely, totally, the world would know it. But because there haven't, why? Because God's not working that way. So what's going on here? He's healed all these people, and guess who knows it? Everybody knows it. It's not a, it's not a well, maybe, no, it is done. So Mark pulls out the one man to illustrate the whole point of the, of the heart of the Messiah as he is healing his nation, uh, his people, 8-1. In those days, the multitude being very great. <laughs> They've seen him restore the Gentile woman, fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant, and then they've seen him in the process of restoring apostate Israel in those days. 
Same time period. We don't try, we aren't changing anything. We're right there. Verse 2. I have compassion. Uh, I'm sorry. He saith unto Jesus called his disciples unto him, the end of verse 1, and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Notice how he says, it says, I have compassion. Usually the writers will say, the Lord looked on them with compassion. Here he's literally saying, I'm having compassion on them, okay? They've been three days. Now, they didn't come without food. They come with the food, but they've been there what? Three so what did they do? They ran out of food. Okay, it's not that they just showed up looking to, you know, feed me. You, you know, you, you go camping or you go somewhere and usually you take, you know, you know, growing up we would travel all over the Midwest and the South to Bible conferences. And we had one of those old coolers. And you know what was in the coolers? Sandwiches and apples and Dr. Peppers stuff like that. Why? Because we didn't have we didn't have the money to go through McDonald's plus McDonald's wasn't on every other corner, you know. What do you do? We'd pull over to the roadside, we'd go to the rest areas and break out the Well, they've run out of food now. Verse 3, and if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. Divers different. It's a multitude. So they're with him, he's been, they've been witnessing the great healing ministry. They are hungry. He, they've run out of food. Why? Because it's been going on for three days. It's, we're not leaving. We're seeing this all the way. Now, he's going to heal. We're going to get down. There's 4,000 of them, okay? And he ha, him and the disciples have seen this already, haven't we? He's fed the 5,000. When he fed the 5,000, he was fulfilling that issue. Come back to Psalms 132. In the two feedings here, it's very, it's very critical to get them together. There, uh, what did I tell you? Psalms 132. They are not the same event. I've read some books in the past where they say, oh, this is the same event. No, they're not. They're two different events because when he fed the 5,000, he was demonstrating what the Messiah is going to provide for his people. Okay? He's going to do it again here, but there's some very specific things that he's going to do. They don't have, Israel doesn't have the ear to hear. They don't have the voice to speak, the deaf and dumb guy. So what does he do? He provides the necessary process to fix that. Now he's going to provide the, their necessities of food. In the feeding of the 5,000, we'll see it in just a minute, we'll go back and I'll remind you, he's going to take care of their spiritual need. In the feeding of the 4,000, he's taking care of their physical need. Okay? Two different things, but they're both needed. Now, Psalms 132 uh, is a song of, of, the, of the degrees. Um, it's very interesting, the, the song of the degrees. These are Hezekiah's. Uh, he, he's the one uh, where they go and uh, get... Uh, he, the men of Hezekiah gather these, all these psalms up. Some say he wrote them, some say he didn't. All I know is they are song of degrees. 
okay? When you look at verse 32, well, I'm sorry, 132, we're talking about verse 10, thy servant David. We're talking about the, uh, the confirmation of the Davidic covenant. Verse 10, 11, of the fruit of thy body will I sit upon the throne. Verse 12, verse 13, for the Lord hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. He, the, here's, it's about the Messiah. When he establishes his kingdom, when he comes back and sets up his kingdom, where is he going to do it? In Zion, in Israel. It's his rest. We're talking about the future establishment of the kingdom. Now watch verse 15. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. It's very interesting that it's bread. Okay? And when he sees the hungry, Mark 8, go back to Mark 8, when he sees the hungry, what does he do? He's demonstrating his messiahship by providing bread for the poor. He's going to satisfy the poor with bread. He's the Messiah. What's the Messiah going to do? By the way, in the kingdom rests, when the king sits on the throne, He's, he's been their deliverer. He's been their avenger. He has been their redeemer. Now he's their king, but he is also their blesser, that fifth title. So he's doing that. So in 8.2, when he says, I have, I, I have compassion on the multitude because they have not been with me. Uh, I'm sorry, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. He says it. Again, he's going to provide their, he sees their physical need, and he says, I'm going to have compassion, and I'm going to meet their physical need. Now come over to chapter 6, with the feeding of the 5,000. <clears throat> chapter 6, verse 34. Chapter 6, 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them. Now watch because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. He, he, he's moved with compassion because they are a sheep without shepherd. They have a spiritual deficiency. Okay, So his compassion is focusing in on the spiritual needs and the physical needs. That's what the program is. That's what the Messiah is going to do. Come back with me to Matthew chapter 6. The great verse that, we all, that needs to always be remembered when you're dealing with the earthly ministry of Christ and Israel's prophetic program is Mark's, uh, uh, Matthew 6, verse 33, but let's start in verse 30. Okay, Actually, you can start up in verse 25 where he talks about the, the lilies and the, and the ravens. Verse 30, though. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? That's the principle. If God can do this, why don't you think he can do that? All right? O ye little faith. Verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or whether withal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. What are we talking about? Physical things. The physical. Your father, your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of all those things. But 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So take care of the spiritual need first, and then all these things shall be added unto you. And that's, that is the, the structure. In order to produce that physical nation, they have to have that spiritual component taken care of, and then the physical component falls in. That's why they have works of righteousness to do. They're a spiritual nation. They have works, physical works to do that produce and demonstrate their righteousness. That's why there's, it's the, the law is always talked about, you know, it's a works-based scenario. Why? Because they're a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. That's who they are. So they have literal, physical, visible, earthly things to do. The spiritual component and the physical component go together. Now, we don't have that today. Not of works of righteousness. So our deal isn't the physical deal. It's just the spiritual component. Because we're a new creature. We're a new man. We're new humanity. Okay? We're, we're, we're kind of an odd thing here. All right? That's what we are. So when you look at this, and Israel needs both, the spiritual and the physical. That's why the Lord, you know, he'll look at them, and he'll look there in John 3 with Nicodemus, and he says, yeah, Nick, your, your descendants are right, but you've got to be born of the Spirit. You've got to get born again here. You're born once as a physical descendant, the physical, but we also need now to take care of the spiritual. So Israel needs both. Now, go back to Mark 8. And that's really what we're going to see here as we come down through here. In the feeding of the 4,000, he's making it clear here in verse 2 that his compassion for the, not only for the spiritual needs of the people will be taken care of, but also the physical needs will be taken care of that they're going to need to make it through the wilderness, okay? And that's literally where we're headed here. Because if you look at verse 4, And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? You see, there's, gonna, there's coming a future time, 70th week of Daniel, Revelation 12, where he's going to feed them in the wilderness as in, in reality. And he's teaching them that issue now. Who's going to do this for you? It isn't going to be. It's going to. It isn't going to be the vain religious system of Israel. It's going to be the Messiah, the little flock, believing remnant. And that's literally what's happening in Revelation 12. There, uh, they flee, you know, and they run off into the wilderness. Revelation 12:14. They're there 40. 42 months, they're back half of that tribulation. What are they? They're at that table in the wilderness. They're getting hammered, and yet here they are. So what Mark 8 is going to picture here is what's coming. And here's the servant of the Lord who's going to provide food, bread, for his people. Here he is. Verse 3, and I... And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, Yeah, Lord, we've seen you do this already. Wonderful, great deal. No, what did they do? 
there's a question. Now we'll hold on to that thought. And he asked them, verse 5, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did eat. I'm sorry. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes. Matthew calls them little fishes. And he blessed and commanded to set them also before them, so that they did so they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they had eaten with uh, and they that had eaten were now be careful here about four thousand. And he sent them away. And the reason I say be careful is because Matthew says there's four thousand men and women and children, plus Plus, all right, see, I can get the verse right, right? Matthew 15, verse, okay, 38. And they that did eat were 4,000 men beside women and children. So if you think about, if you think about every man had a wife and a child, so we got 12,000 people, okay, to eat. But let's say only half the men are married with children. So now what are we about? About six, seven, eight thousand, eight to ten. So you got like eight to twelve thousand people that he's feeding with seven loaves and a few fishes. He doesn't tell us how many. So when he feeds them, he's again making the provision. And what happens? We got leftovers again. Then, back in Mark eight. So then they did eat, verse eight, and were filled. Verse 9, and they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. He feeds them and then sends them home. Get out of here. Go. Get. Boom. Sends them away. Now, again, this is the second time we've seen the Lord feed a big crowd. Mark 6, 5,000. Here we got 4,000. So now we play the numbers game. And again, you can play numbers game all day long, and you can make it say a whole bunch of things but, you know, they haven't had anything to eat. They've been with him, how long? Three days. Isn't that an interesting number? Especially when it's three connected to days. So they're hungry. And out of his compassion, what does he do? He provides for them. <clears throat> you remember, look back in Mark 6, the feeding of the 5,000. Do you, how many, do you remember how many loaves they had? They had five loaves, uh, Mark 6, 38. And he saith unto him, How many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five loaves and two fishes. How many baskets were left over? Remember? Twelve, right? So we got the number game. Again, twelve is the number of Israel. Two is a, is, is a number of, uh, I got to look, of division, two witnesses, two testimony, or you call it a number of testimony. You know what five is? Five is the number of death, but it's also the number of grace because grace came out of a death. So they're connected, see? So you've got the, again, you can, I saw a guy go, number five, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Boom. 
I'm like, okay, that didn't make any sense, but all right, whatever. You know, so we're not, I'm not trying to play number games, but they're here. I'll be honest with you, two, two fishes, the feeding of the 5,000 is their spiritual component. So we've got to have a testimony here. So, again, you've got all this numbering stuff you can play with. To me, just leave it alone. Let it sit where it sits. Uh, seven. Seven loaves. What's the number seven? Perfection. How many baskets are left over? Seven baskets. So a number of perfection. They're perfectly taken care of. The number four is the number of creation. It's the creating of the world. On day four, he creates the sun, moon, and stars, the rule of the day, the rule of the night, and so forth. Uh, it's also called the number of man, because, and again, world, and not man. Man's made on the sixth day, but number four. So you got all of, you know, you've, you've got some different things going on here. So obviously, these are two different events. Number five, the number of death, but it, it's also what comes from a certain death, which is his grace. And that's how grace gets to us, is by the death of the Savior. So as we begin to look here at this feeding, at the feeding here, there's some things to catch, um, especially because of the context of Mark 7 and Mark 8 and where we're at and what Mark is focusing in on. He, here is the Messiah who's come, and he's providing for all the world, there's a Gentile woman, Israel, Gentiles in Israel, a perfect provision as he does that. Okay? Now, come back with me to Psalms 23. And I'm going to show you something that I saw and thought it was kind of cool. And I'll show you. All right? You're welcome. And, you know, you study and... I study other guys, and I saw this, and I'm like, hey, this is pretty cool. Look at Psalms 23. Now, we know Psalms 23. It gets read at every funeral. It gets read in every locker room before the ball game. It gets, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a psalm that goes to church, and yet it just needs to stay in Psalms, okay? But notice what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, what did he see them? He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. So, Here's your shepherd. There you go. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. You know what he did? He made them sit in the fields as he fed them, both groups. Sit right there in the green field, in the, in the green grass. Sit. Let me feed you. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What's coming their way? Shadow of death. The 70th week of Daniel's coming. So where is their, where is their assurance going to lie? In the spiritual provision, but also in the physical position, uh, provision. Yeah, provision. Okay? What's happening? They're going to... You don't take the mark of the beast. You can't eat. You can't buy. You can't sell. You can't negotiate. You can't do anything. So he's going to provide. Verse 5, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. 
That's exactly what Christ is demonstrating in the feeding of the five and the feeding of the four. He came to provide for Israel the provision they're going to need to have, they need it to get through that time of tribulation. The enemy, there he is. He's right there. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where are they now? They're in the kingdom. The five and the four, the feedings, picture that for you. The Lord's getting them ready. Come over to Psalms 78. I thought that was kind of cool. Sorry. Okay? Psalm 78. Because that's exactly what they're going to need to get through the wilderness time, i.e. the 70th week of Daniel. Psalm 78. Look, if you will, down at verse... Well, Psalm 78 is a verse 17... And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High, where? In the wilderness. Psalm 78 is a history of Israel up to the moment in time. Uh, you, you, you'll see him talk here. Uh, this is, uh, well, when were they in the wilderness? Who was, who was on board? Moses. Then you get down in verse 52, and you got the Exodus. Verse 54, you've got Numbers and Deuteronomy. 55 is Joshua. 56 and following is the Judges, 60 is 1 Samuel, uh, 4 to 6, then 65 is 1 Samuel 8, and then you've got David. So you've got a history lesson up to David, okay? But now watch verse 18. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Where did they tempt God? In the context, what, are they, what did they do? They tempted God where? In their heart. So when, when Christ says we need to feed them, all right, what did the disciples say? How are you going to do that? But wait a minute. Yeah, you almost want to, really, guys? You just saw him feed 5,000. And you're, now you're questioning him again. See, the tempting here is, is what the disciples are saying. They're, they're operating out of a, they don't get it yet, see. They're not fully trusting him here. <laughs> they're provoking him, verse 17. You see, it's not, a, it's not a, you know, woman. It's just this little thing of that dull of hearing issue. There they are. Verse 19, yea, they, can, they spake against God. They say, can God furnish a table in the? Wilderness, that's exactly what the disciples are saying in Mark 8. How are you going to feed all these people? Where are you going to do that from? You know, I, you, you almost think the Lord just wants to whack them. Not physically kill them, but to smack them. Hey, I just fed 5,000. You saw me do it. Now, remember that because when we go back, anyway, look at verse 20. Behold, he smoked the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Well, yes. Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation, though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven. And watch now, 
rained down manna upon them and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angel's food. Manna, it's angel's food. It's cornbread. He sent them meat to the full. Notice there are two provisions listed there. Meat, okay, in the feeding of the five and the four, what did we have? Fishies. And then we had bread, angel's food, manna. So God, the point here, go back to Mark 8. The point in all of this is when he's doing this, he looks at them and he's providing, he's feeding Israel in the wilderness. That's the picture. So when they come, so, so, when they, so he, he says, can I do this? And they're like, the answer is yes, you can, Lord. You're the Messiah. You're our servant. You're the man. You're the guy. Now, in Mark 8, he, again, he's illustrating his capacity to do, but what did they say to him in verse 4? From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? They don't get it. Come back to chapter 6 of Mark. It's, the issue here is that issue of the dull of hearing. That's the issue. Now watch Mark 6.52. Because when we went through here, I told you we were going to see this come up again. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Now wait a second. What did they just see? They just saw him feed the 5,000, walk on the water and calm the storm down. Right? Right? And they didn't get either one because they're still missing the first issue with the 5,000, which is a spiritual need. They're Bible blockheads. They're, they don't get it. They've missed it. They didn't get it to start with. So when you come back over to 8.4, guess what? That question is still a question of a dull of hearing. They just don't get it. He's like, I'm doing this. You know, McFly, hello. Is this thing on? Anybody there? And they just don't get it. Now come over to Luke 24. That dull of hearing is going to last all the way through. It's fascinating. It extends all the way out here. Luke 24, 25. Luke 24, 25. You got the two on the road here, after the res uh, Emmaus and so forth, uh, this is after the resurrection, verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What are they? They are slow of heart. They're dull of hearing. Come over to Hebrews 5. Hebrews chapter 5. F folks, this goes all the way out. It's amazing. Hebrews 5, verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered. Now, he's talking about the issue of the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Who the Lord is. Here he is. As ver, uh, Hebrews 5, verse 10. Called of God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. 
that's their condition. That's the condition when you come back to Mark 8 now of they just don't get it. Go back to Mark 8. Actually, you know what? Fly back to Isaiah 28. I'll give you the idea in Scripture. And this is one of those transdispensational things they like to say. Transdispensational. This is true no matter where you're at in Scripture. Okay? Isaiah 28, look at verse 10. Isaiah 28, 10. How do we learn? How are we instructed? For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, Line upon line, here a little and there a little. Verse 13. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. <laughs> How does the word of God work? Here a little, there a little, line upon line. It's fascinating. He repeats that stuff over and over again. Why? Because they're Thick-headed. And by the way, so are we. How do you get Renewing your mind. Today, Paul would say, renew your mind. How do you do that? It's line upon line. Today, it's not studying Israel's program. We do that because we are to know. We're to do this. That thing in Romans 15, he says, the things written aforetime are written for our learning, not obedience, learning. So you do that. Now go back to Mark 8 because we've got to roll here. Let us roll, all right? So notice what's going to happen here. He's feeding the 4,000, verse 6. He commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So we've got the bread. And we've got the meat, the two provisional points. So they did eat and were filled. Notice, filled. There, no one went away hungry. No one said, I don't like it. Nope, you're doing it. They took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets. The seven baskets, that number of perfection. So the perfect provision for the world, number four, okay, the number four, the world, creation, has been perfectly provided for. How do we know that? We've seen the picture of the Gentile woman. We've seen the picture of restoration of Israel. Here's the Messiah accomplishing everything that God promised to do through Israel. The Abrahamic covenant. It's accomplished. The blessings have flowed out. They're there. Now watch verse 10. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with, uh, with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why doth this generation seek after a sign verily i say unto you there shall no sign be given unto this generation and he left them again and entered into the ship he left them and entered entering into the ship again departed to the other side now notice what again he just had and think about what's happening here <laughs> as soon as he's done feeding the four thousand and he sends them on their way he gets in the boat and who shows up the Pharisees. And what are they looking for? Give us a sign. But not any old sign. We want a sign from heaven. 
We need a new sign. We don't need this stuff. This is not. We want a new sign. And what does he do? He sighs deeply. And guess what? You ain't getting no sign. <laughs> and then he leaves. But now think about here, because you have to consider this encounter here with the Pharisees. Because they come and they ask that question, show us a sign from heaven, from God, that you are the Messiah. Now, what has he been doing? He's been doing all of that. But they had been, and again, they've been seeing the signs and the wonders and the miracles. They've never, they've never argued about them. They've never said he didn't do it. Okay? Now they want a new sign. That's what they're really asking for. They are out there, and what literally when they say, show us a sign from heaven, they are justifying their unbelief. Because what unbelief does is it is never satisfied. It's never enough. It wants more and more. And you know what the Pharisees do? They want a new sign because of their unbelief. Now, in chapter 14, he's going to tell them, you're going to see the sign of the Son of Man coming, and he's going to sit on, he's going to breath. That's not the sign they want to see. <laughs> they want to see, you know what they want to see? They want to see uh, fire come out of heaven is what they want to see. They, they, they've, they are tempting him here. Mark, again, here's, here's the humble servant of the Lord who's providing for his people, this heart of compassion. He's feeding them based on their need. He doesn't feed the 4,000 to get them to listen to him. He feeds them because of their need. Here you got the Gentile, you got the deaf and dumb. What, their needs, that's what he's doing. So these bozos show up, verse 11, show us a sign. Show us a sign. What they want him to do is show off. That's what they're looking for him to do. Because of that issue of show us a sign from heaven. Again, in Israel's, in Israel's program, think about, think about Cain and Abel. They, God had respect for who? Abel's sacrifice. And it says a fire came down out of heaven. Fire coming down. Okay? You think about Elijah, 1 Kings, with the Baal guys. All right, you get out there and do this, and the fire come out of heaven, then that's who we're going to go with. See, it's a fire coming out of heaven. Leviticus 8, God says we're going to have a fire in that temple, not, made, not a strange fire. I'm going to do it. And he literally sends a fire down and start and ignites the altar. And the priest's jobs never let that thing go out. And then what did Onehu and Abayu do? They brought in a big lighter and strange fire and killed them. Why? Because it's, not, it's fire made of God, not of man. All right? So what they're talking about is they're, they're wanting to see a sign come from heaven that's been approved by God. We want a sign approved by God. He's like, dude, I've been doing it, you know, I, literally. They want, they don't get, they miss, they don't, their unbelief 
they don't want the Lord to be that humble servant. They want him to be a show-off. Why? Because then they can say, see, he's just a big show-off. That's who he, he's just showing off now. So they, they try to get him to do something that he's not going to do. That's why he says, you're not going to get a sign. I've been doing. Now watch verse 13. By the way, he leaves. And he left them. And entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now, watch why Mark put in this issue about the Pharisees and the sign thing. Verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. What did they forget? They forgot the seven baskets sitting up there on the shore, left over. See? Now watch them. Now the disciples had forgotten. Verse 15. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of, of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. They're missing the point. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember when I baked the five loaves among the five thousand, how many basket full of fragments took ye up? And they said unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? The reason that Mark puts in the thing about the Pharisees is because the disciples are still missing it. And he's going to do something here with them. So you've got to get the picture here. What he's basically saying is, look, guys, if I can feed 5,000 and I can feed 4,000 with leftovers, don't you think I could take care of you guys on this little boat? They got on the boat. They forgot the food. <clears throat> and now they're worrying about what's to eat. Yet they just did what? Fed 4,000 people. Again, probably anywhere from four to 12,000, okay, women and children. They labored. They see the miracle. They're working with the Lord. They're doing it. Now they're worried about who? Themselves. <laughs> so what does the Lord say to them there in verse 15? Beware of the what? The leaven of the Pharisee and the leaven of, the, of, of Herod. Beware. They're thinking about their belly. They're not paying attention to what just happened. What, did he ju what just happened? Verse 11 and 12. He dealt with the Pharisees, didn't he? They're trying to tempt him. They're trying to make him come along and do something he's not going to do. They're trying to get him to show off. Remember when Satan tempted the Lord and he takes him up on the high mount, the high pinnacle, and he shows him all the nations, all of the, you know, the world, the kingdoms of the world, and he says, if you bow down and then I'll give you all this glory, you know, show it off. 
And they, the disciples focused in on themselves. They missed what just happened between the Pharisees and the Lord, where they were justifying their unbelief by trying to get him to show off. Another sign from heaven, from God. They missed it. Now think about what he's doing here. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees is bad doctrine, okay, false doctrine, and then which results in a bad lifestyle, okay? Uh, hold on here, flip back to, to Matthew 16, just so you see it here in Matthew 16. Then he says, the leaven of Herod. Well, who is Herod? He's the government. It's the political issue. It's the corrupt political culture. He's the, it's the Herodians, okay? He's the one that had John the Baptist beheaded for no good reason. Then he, now in Matthew 16, he looks at them and he says, verse 1, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempted. See that? Then in verse 11, he says there ye sh that ye should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. The Sadducees are the liberals. We're going we're gonna to spiritualize everything. We don't believe in the resurrection. We don't believe in angels and all that. So we're just going to make it a mystic thing. You see, the leaven of the... So in Mark 8, he's like, guys, you need to be aware of the leaven of, of the po political environment. And then you need to be aware of that leaven of the vain religious system that's got everything messed up. And then, again, the Sadducees are, are there in Matthew, so really, you guys need to be aware of all of the false doctrine, corruption, that has captured Israel that I've been dealing with here. And you, the, the disciples are just... Worried about their stomach. What do I get to eat? They're focused on the things. Remember Matthew 6.33? And all the things will be added. They're focused on the things. They've got the boat out of whack. So Christ rebukes them for it. If you look there at verse at 8.12, and he decide, uh, I'm in Mark, sorry, Mark 8, verse 12, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. Well, we've seen him do that in chapter 7. Verse 34, and looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply. Again, Isaiah 53, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Now, I know we always say Isaiah 53 is about Calvary, but he's sorrowful here with his people. So he sighs over the unbelief in Israel. And yet the disciples, what are they worried about? Where's lunch? Where's breakfast? We didn't, where's our supper? And I could just see the Lord. You know he wants to say, sitting over there on the beach, you dummies. Let's go, you know. But he doesn't say that, okay? 8.17. And when Jesus knew it, he said unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no, what? No bread. He sees their heart, and he's now going to question them. There are seven questions in the passage. Seven provisions. Seven leftovers, 
seven loaves of bread, seven positions. Now he's going to ask them seven questions. And the questions are designed to make them think. Bring you to your senses. Wake you up. 818. Or, or verse 17. Why? You ha- because you have no bread. Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not. Having ears, hear ye not. And do ye not remember? Do ye not? The purpose is to make them remember what they just saw. What did they just see? The feeding of 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. And what he's doing is, is he's like, look, guys, don't worry about your bellies. Don't worry about your circumstances. Okay? I can take care of you. Belly, bread, food, physical. I can take care of you. Let's really think about what the problem is here, guys. You know what the problem is? Is you're slow of heart. You're dull of hearing. You don't understand yet. That's why verse 21, he said unto them, how is it that ye do not understand? How can you not get this, guys? Now, he's talking to his disciples. I'll come back to Matthew 16. They're just slow of heart, okay? And that's the point here. They just aren't getting it. So he asked those questions. Now watch Matthew 16, and then watch verse number, well, verse 11. How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread? That ye should be that you that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Okay, now watch verse twelve. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. You know what? They do get it. Okay, they do. They do. Finally, in the end, wake up. To it. Now, Mark's not focused on that. Matthew is. Mark's focused on, here's the heart of the Messiah. Here's the heart of the servant. What's he doing? He's providing, and even his own disciples, apostles, followers, are a little slow on the get. But yet, what does he do? He's still providing, making the provisions. Okay? Now, the hour's up, so we'll pick up here. If you go back to Mark 8, this is going to help us understand now what he's going to do next in Mark 8. And we'll look back up at some of those questions and stuff. It's just the hour's up. So the rebuke is to make them wake up. Matthew 16 says they do eventually get it, finally in the end. Mark is focused on that compassion, the heart. Here's the heart of the apostate Israel. Here's the heart of the Messiah. Look at how different they are. And look at what he's doing. Okay? So don't think the disciples never got it because they do get it. (laughs) They're just a little slow on the go. Okay?
And again, we'll get down into Mark 8 here uh, the next time, and we'll see uh, why, you know, why Mark does this stuff. And that, again, it's to demonstrate that suffering servant, the humble servant, and uh, who the Messiah really is and what he's doing. And again, we'll get down in it, and then we'll begin to talk about him going to uh, Calvary, to the cross. And as we now shift gears a little bit, in the the sections here in Mark, okay? All right, so we got 21 verses tonight. That was pretty good. I didn't know if we'd do it or not, but you guys hung in there, okay? All right, Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the look here at uh, at Mark and, and what you're accomplishing as the Messiah of Israel, and we thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen.